very grateful and appreciative, if that's a word, uh, to be here. Last semester at college, God has taught me a lot. And honestly, everything that people can claim is theirs, so anything that I, I could claim as mine, is all because of God. And I just thank him for it. Let's all turn to Psalm 37. While you're turning there, I've decided to title this message, The Full of Faith, Faithful Instrument of God. The reason why I titled that, to be faithful to God, to be able to be used by God as an instrument, we do need to be full of faith. And if we think about an instrument of itself, a lot of times we, um, I'm sure all of us here, we want to do what is pleasing for the Lord. We want to do the right things. We want to do what's good for him. But a lot of the times, we try and do it our own way. Try and use our own power, our own methods. But if you think of an instrument, an instrument has different technical parts to it. And if you want an instrument to, say, like a musical instrument or a tool, if you want that to function properly, you have to concentrate on certain tools or certain parts of those and fix those in the right way. And I believe that in this passage, the first, uh, first six verses of 37 gives us an answer of how we can be effectively used by the Lord. Now let's start reading in verse 1. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. And here my first point, I'm going to go um, basis off of the third verse. Trust in the Lord and do good. Here we have in verse 3, we have a command for faith in his preparation. This is where we are open to his work in our minds. If we think about these two parts of this first part of the verse, uh, trust in the Lord and do good. If we think about each of those pieces, trusting, when we trust in the Lord, that comes from God's mercy. We see in Romans 15, 13, now the God of hope, Fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And also in Psalm 13, 5, but I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. And also if we look at this second part of of this phrase, doing good comes from God's truth. We know in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. And this is how God works in us in all aspects of our lives. We think of the Bible that instructs but also gives us promises. When we pray to the Lord, it gives us direction but also encourages us. The gospel itself assures us of our salvation but also compels us to reach out to others with that message. If you think of the cross itself, his death showed that sin required it, required a payment, and the resurrection shows that he has the power to overcome it. We need God's work in our lives, and we need both of it. We need both parts of that, both mercy and truth, not just one or the other. Some people define mercy and truth too distinct and separate from each other, but one of them cannot exist without the other. Real mercy contains truth. 
For example, God is just as he gives mercy. Jesus' death was required for salvation. He doesn't just give mercy for free. God recognizes that there is a need for a payment. Also, real truth contains mercy. God recognizes that we are sinners. And because of that, because of his recognition of that truth, he can forgive us. And for application to us, if you have a hard time giving a person advice, adopt God's method for delivering knowledge to us. For those who emphasize the truth aspect more than mercy, and I feel this is a weakness in myself, if you try and change a person by constantly criticizing them and trying, and you may have good intentions in doing it, but if you are constantly going to this person with, with, yeah, perhaps honest criticisms and with good intentions, but you look like you're just being critical to the person. If all you're doing is telling them, hey, you need to improve on this, hey, you need to improve on this. We also, if we want to affect someone in their minds, we also need to let them know that we appreciate what they do. And this mercy, when you think of this mercy, a big word, a big uh, key word in here is forgiveness. Forgiving them for what wrong they do, letting them know that you still appreciate what they're trying to do and that you love them anyway, even with their sin. And that's how God works in us with truth and mercy. We know his work is perfect. And if we know his work is perfect, if we're not accepting one or the other, that, don't, that falls on us. That doesn't fall on him. If you're not being comforted by him, you're not letting God's mercy work in you. You're, not, you're simply not trusting him. If you are content with your spiritual state, you are not letting God's truth work in you. You're not doing good. To trust and receive his mercy, recognize that he will give you power. Not only can he give you power, but he will give you power, and he wants to do so. Also, to do good and receive his truth, recognize that you need to change. We know, we all know this verse, Proverbs 16, 6. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged, and by fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. We know that, you know, this applies to when we're ministering to others, but this also shows God ministering to us. And here in the second part of this verse, uh, second part of verse 3, we see a twofold promise for accepting this work in us. So, thou so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. If you guys can keep your thumbs uh, on Psalm 37, but turn over to Proverbs 3. There's, uh, and if you, and like, I encourage you guys after this message, look at Proverbs 3 and uh, just the key points that I cover in this message. There are a lot of parallels with this chapter in Psalm 37 that gave me a lot of clarity in studying this passage. When we see dwelling in the land, of course, we see this is in the Old Testament. And Israel's obedience to the Lord when they received God's work in them, they allowed them to go, allowed them to go to the land where God wanted them to go. When they obeyed the Lord, they went to where God wanted them to go. So when we obey the Lord, we will be in a location where God wants us to be. Proverbs, and if we look at uh, verses five through six in Proverbs three, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. We see, we see these two aspects in there. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him. Acknowledge his knowledge. 
and he shall direct thy paths, and he'll lead you where you want to go. Also, in the second part here, that verily thou shalt be fed. And it's key that it says verily here. Because if you are where God you wants to be, you're going to be fed from that. You'll be blessed by God. And if we look at the next, very next two verses, verses 7 through 8, be not wise in thine own eyes, fear the Lord, and depart from evil. We see the both truth and mercy in here again. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. We also, not only are we where God wants us to be, but we also get physical and spiritual blessings from obeying the Lord. And if we look at this promise compared to the other ones that we'll see ahead, it doesn't, it doesn't have a direct, it doesn't state directly that God is going to do these things. It's because the work that God is doing us is telling us to work, accept his work in our minds. And when we do that, God gives us the free will. And when we do that, the, he's already designed the world where if we do what God wants us to do, we'll be where he wants us and we'll be blessed from it. Now, if we move on to verse 4, let's flip over there back to Psalm 37. Delight thyself also in the Lord. Here, see verse 4, a command for faith in his presence. And this is where we are open to his work in our hearts. If we look at the Hebrew word for delight here, it means, uh, and depending on how it's used, it can mean soft and delicate or simply being happy, like literally to delight. See, delighting the Lord includes being open to his teaching by mercy and truth, but also includes being open to his ministering in our hearts. To have this delight, we must use what God has promised before his position that he provided for us, and our provision that he's provided for us. And as, and as we go through these verses, each of these um, verses ahead depend on the one previously before. This is a three-step process that we have. Now, we know that um, we, we don't uh, love, we love, not that we love God, but uh, not that we first love God, but I'm paraphrasing here, it's in 1 John, but that God first loved us. We can't love God for nothing. God gives us these blessings. And taking these in allows us to have love to him. There, um, oh, sorry, I lost my place here. And these are where God allows us to be and what he decides us, decides to bless us with. First, we have these, uh, these blessings he giving, he's giving us in the form of provision. Using provision to delight in him requires us to appreciate them. And there are two kinds of this provision. There's both physical and spiritual. If you look at physical, many examples of this, good times, fun and joy, gifts, compliments. When we get, we receive these, we honestly receive these things daily, and we receive plenty of them. But times when we receive a great amount of blessings, when we're going through a good time and things are going great, can be very difficult to grow in the Lord spiritually. A lot of the time, we can be content where we are, and we see this peace as a norm. And once it's a norm, now we want to have more blessings from him. That simply isn't the case. If you have a struggle with that, simple solution is to really appreciate what God does for us and recognize that we really don't deserve anything good that we have here. This, the, fact, the very fact that we're living is a gift of, from God itself. And it's one, it's one point to know that, but it's another point to actually have it applied to your heart. 
In Ephesians 5, 19 through 20, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In James 1, 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. We can trust in God because God does not change and he Will, he does give us blessings now, and he will give us more in the future. Also, not only do we have physical provision, but we also have spiritual ones. And I believe the greatest blessing of all that we can get is receiving his fellowship with the Spirit. When we resist temptation, when we do these good things, trusting the Lord and doing good, we draw closer to him. In 1 John uh, chapter 3, 23 through 24, and this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. Sometimes we have a confusion of like, oh, am I being led by the spirit? But if you have a delight in the Lord and you're being fed by the spirit and you're doing things that are pleasing to the Lord, you, know you are being led by the spirit. And that also indicates to us that we can't take credit for anything good that we do because we're doing this good because the Spirit is indwelling in us. And when I came, and this thought here that I'm going to say, when I came to this thought, this really struck me hard. We deserve the worst, which is hell. But he gives us the opportunity for the greatest he can ever give us. And, and yet, despite that, even if he gives us everything when we deserve nothing, he still decides to minister in our hearts. A lot of the times in our flesh, we can say, oh, well, I gave him a lot of things, so I, I'm good to give him. But literally, God has given us more than we could ever give anyone. But he still works in our hearts and still fellowships with us. God doesn't have to. He's already given us heaven. He's already given us future fellowship with him in the future. But he still decides to minister us to us now, to work in this sinful and wretched world. Colossians 3.17, and whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. The least we can do is dedicate our lives to him. And it really shows your appreciation if you do so. You know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speak it. When we're in faith by works is dead. If we're, we're showing what's inside our hearts, it's not that we... Um, it's not that our hearts are made by what we do, but what we do is an indicator of what is in our hearts. Also, we have these uh, blessings from the form of provision, but we also have blessings in the form of trials. Because um, our doing good, we're doing good and trusting him, difficulties will come. 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And see, we see two trials, types of trials here as well, physical and spiritual as well before his provision. In physical trials, these are times when maybe we're not treated correctly or we are having difficulty overcoming a situation and getting through it. These are physical trials. And we can overcome with these trials if we have faith in God to get us through. In John 16, these things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world, ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. 
In Psalm 23, 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. God gives us, God gives us everything we need to go through trials. All we need to do is let him work in us. That's literally all we need to do. And, you know, it, it sounds so simple, but we're just, we're so dumb that we don't do it. <laughs> Especially me. Many of you guys are aware, um, especially my family, with uh, my girlfriend, Tia. And during last fall, um, very, you know, very unfortunate that her father passed away. And honestly, this is, the, I, I can't comprehend it in my mind. Losing a father this early in my age. How would you deal with your father passing away who gave you direction in life, was everything you wanted to be, always said the right encouraging words to you, put food on the table three times a day, and even gave you more spoiled do at times, but now would no longer able to walk you down the aisle on your wedding day? How do you overcome something like that? And we, we can ask why. Why is this happening to me? But what she did, she depended on God to get her through her trial. She trusted that God had a purpose from this. And she still does today. God has already brought several people to accept him as their savior in their funeral services, people that he's witnessed to on his own. But we're expecting God to do more because he can and he will. You will only be ready to overcome trials if you have faith in God to minister in your heart, are you ready for these trials? Along with physical trials, we also have spiritual trials. And these are times when God reveals a fault in us. We can overcome these trials if we have an attitude for improvement and repent from them. And see, in talking about this in terms of spiritual, it, when we're convicted in our hearts, that's a hard thing to handle. And sometimes that really discourages us and brings us down, just like physical trials do. And so that's why I really believe that a spiritual trial is um, dealing with God's, like, ministering to us, seeing his correction in us. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And um, as before, keep your thumb on 37, because we'll be going there again. But 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And let's uh, look at verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. When we have this fear in God, when, we're, when we have an attitude that we want to improve, we will improve and we'll, be, um, and we'll grow spiritually. Also, if we go down to verse 10 in the same chapter, for godly sorrow worketh repentance, to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. See, the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow is the difference between conviction and guilt. When we have a godly sorrow, that's a conviction in our hearts. And when we have a worldly sorrow, that's just, that's Satan in the world 
bringing us down with a worldly sorrow. You know, we, and we, you know, we're, we shouldn't be ashamed or repent for having a godly sorrow. We need this conviction. But if we have a worldly sorrow, if we dwell on guilt and let it hurt us, then we'll, it leads to death. And, you know, and I've, I've seen this personally in my life. I've seen this in other people. When a person feels guilty, it doesn't encourage them to grow. It honestly encourages them to sin more. A person simply gives up and doesn't, doesn't pursue. But if we, we can take God's work in us in something that could be guilt, we can turn it into conviction. If we have a determination to be renewed and to be better for him. If all we, if all do not see, if we do not see a potential for improvement from criticism, we will be trapped in guilt. This comes with God's work. It also comes with other people's uh, criticism as well. If we, we can't, all criticism is going to do to us, if we, if we have, honestly, it's pride if we don't want to be fixed. If we have that in us, all we're going to do is just keep falling down to guilt and guilt again. Guilt is a prideful act. If we never repent from our criticism, we'll always take punishment from our sin, and we'll never see a change. And even looking at this in the um, passage in 2 Corinthians, if any of you guys know, in 1 Corinthians, we see apparently that Corinth was not a good church. It was very carnal and wicked. But looking back in verse 11, For behold this self same thing, that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of, your, clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, what fear, and what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge, and all ye, and all these, and all things, ye have approved yourselves to be clear, not just apparent, clear in this matter. Even the carnal and wicked church of Corinth could change into a just one for the Lord, simply by just depending on Him, having faith in Him to work in us. And looking at these, uh, both just trials in general, both physical and spiritual, these trials are in our lives because we live in a sinful world. If it was a perfect world, God wouldn't use trials to improve us because God loves us. God doesn't want us to be in pain. But we have sin in this world, and we, can't, we need to have trials to draw us closer to him. God can and will use trials to draw you closer to him as long as they come from living godly. In 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, verse 15 through 16, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or, or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man will suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on his behalf. See, God, trials are, um, many trials that come in our lives are things that God bestows on us and ordains in us to have these trials. But if we're going into sin and making these trials come into us, they're not the trials that God wants us to have. And we, we can have hope in these trials. I don't have this in my notes, but this did just come to mind. Please turn to Romans 5. I believe I did intend to put this in my notes, but I never thought of it before. But it did come to mind now, so I'll say it now. 
Romans 5. I did, I did a short message in this during the semester. Um, if you go to verse 3, chapter 5, verse 3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And patience, experience. And experience, hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. If we let these trials minister to us, if we are patient, then we'll gain experience, we'll gain character. Then when we gain character, we can have hope in him. And we have hope, we're not ashamed of the power of God. Because it's power to us, and we have hope in it. But guys, we can't just decide to have hope. Many times we have to go through these experiences and we can't give these experiences to ourselves. We simply have to trust God and let him work in us for that. We simply have to put our trust in him. And when trials come, the opposing force, evil will do everything they can to take you down the opposite direction. But we need to let these trials turn us toward God and thus improve us. In 1 Peter 1.7, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Guys, if we view trials more precious than gold, I don't know if any of us feel that way. Do we really see trials as something precious? I want to have trials. We don't think that way. But that's what it is. Trials are precious. The trials that are ordained by God are precious because they allow us. We can't, we can't turn our minds ourselves. But these trials put us in a situation where we depend on him and we need him. When God puts you through a trial, God's letting you know that you need him. If we feel like we are not being treated fairly or do not seek to learn from our trials, we will not improve from them and we will suffer without taking the benefits. God wants to use these trials and minister to us, but if you don't use them, all you're going to be getting is these trials and you're not going to really benefit from them at all. God still gives us a free will, even though he's sovereign. He gives us sovereign trials, but he lets us decide what to do with them. If we look at the second part of this verse, uh, back to 37, Psalm 37, uh, verse 4. Second part of this verse. And he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. And see, these desires, I do not believe that these are objects of our desires. These are desires that God actually gives to us. Our hearts will be changed. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 4. To Philippians chapter 4, yeah, and as well, keep your thumb back on Psalm 37. Philippians chapter 4. <clears throat> and yeah, excuse me for my uh, coughing in my throat. I should have said that before, but I am going through some kind of sick spell. I don't know if it's allergies or what. But. Philippians 4. Philippians 4, let's look through uh, at verse 6 through 7. Be careful for nothing, but everything. This includes both trials and provision. By prayer and supplication, which is attitude of necessity, with thanksgiving, 
which is an attitude of gratefulness. So, when you, so by prayer, with an attitude of necessity and an attitude of thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. And the peace of God, and this allows us to appreciate his blessings and rejoice in him during trials, which passeth all understanding, something that we can't do ourselves, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. And see, we're in this minds here, we're going back to our first point. Having these desires is also going to help us trust the Lord and do good. The more that we delight in the Lord, the more our desires match his desires, the more we're going to trust the Lord and do good. I want you to think of a person, humanly speaking, think of a person right now that you are the closest to, that you appreciate the most, that this is the person I love the most. I can almost guarantee, I can practically guarantee that this person has helped you through some trial or has given you some need. But guys, if we let God do the same for us, we can have that same affection for him. And guys, again, we can't just decide to have affection for him. We need to trust in the Lord and let him work in us to develop that affection for him. Let's move on to verse 5. Psalm 37, verse 5. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him. Here we see a command for faith in his plan. This is where we're open to his work and our actions. Not only will we act accordingly with the right desires, instinctively, as we said before, but we'll have the right motivation behind what God commands us to do. See, back in the college, this semester I started working as a kitchen supervisor, which meant that I basically just made sure that everyone was doing what they were supposed to do. I told everyone, adapting to the situation, I tell people what to do. Hey, can you do this, do this, whatever. There's one, there's one friend of mine, I, I love him so much, but he has a passionate and excelling hatred for working at the salad bar in our kitchen. It's almost like, it's like, oh, like, you know, sometimes I joke around with them, like, you know, because everyone else, all my other workers are watching me, and I want to, like, you know, make them laugh and, like, pin them on salad bar. We're all laughing, you know, having a good time, like, oh, hey, you want to work on salad bar? It's like, man, I'm sorry, dude. Like, I'd ask him, hey, what, what's your problem with salad bar? He's like, I just don't like it. I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry, dude. But guys, I'm not, I'm not going to make him go do the salad bar if he doesn't want to do that. And God isn't, and you know, God does work in our hearts to do something. He wants us to do it first, though. God tells us to do something, but God, the Bible says, you know, um, give with a cheerful heart. Be a cheerful giver. We can't, God isn't going to, um, God isn't going to be able to use us to commit to him if we don't have those desires in the first place. Now, I'm sure you can see this progress here, and there's, no, there's not really any conjunctions in between these verses, but these are steps to growing closer to the Lord as we can see if we examining these words. In Revelation 3.20, this is uh, talking about the church of Laodicea, and I'm sure many of you guys are familiar with this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. And like I said, this is addressed to the church of Laodicea. 
these, um, church, the church of Laodicea, they were a lukewarm church, meaning that they really, they were kind of like, I know I'm going to do what God wants me to do, but, you know, I want to do this other stuff anyway. But guys, we can't, we can't, no, we can't both serve God and mammon. They received the word, but did not let it affect them. Prioritizing the pleasures they can receive themselves rather than the pleasures that God can give. You will not be able to listen to anything God tells you if you are distracted with all the background noise of the things of the world. If you're paying attention, if you're chasing after things that will please you and not please the Lord, you're not going to be able to listen to him. You're not going to hear his work in you. When you, read, when you read scripture, if you're just reading scripture as like, oh, I'm just going to do this to, you know, check off, you know, check off the list, we're not going to get anything from it because we're not looking for it. We don't have that desire. If we need to take the desires that come from him and hand them over to him so that he can use it. If we look at this word commit, looking at this Hebrew word, I was, you know, I was really trying to like make sure that you know, this, if this verse, if I, is this verse really saying what I think it's saying? I looked at the verse for the meaning of the word commit in Hebrew. It literally means rolling. I was like, rolling? Like, how, how does rolling have to do with commit? And I looked at, like, you know, this word, this Hebrew word, and other passages, and it's used a lot for commit. And I'm thinking, like, rolling. How's rolling ever related to committing? But when I, when I paralleled, rolling and committing to the Lord, I found some very interesting uh, um, observations, things how they connect with each other. There are two comparisons between rolling and committing. First of all, rolling requires a committed decision. You cannot have a plan B. See, some people, they want to roll. They want something to roll forward. Imagine you're rolling a big boulder. But it's not going to roll forward until you push it all the way. So what you're going to end up doing, you're going to like, Try and push it like, oh, I don't know if I should go that way. You keep going, oh, I, didn't, I don't know if I should go that way. And you're just going to end up rocking back and forth. You're not going to actually roll and go anywhere. That's what this rolling requires. Logically, and some people, they, so they want to roll, but don't roll all the way. These can't be done at the same time. Logically, you can't both rock and, you know, just go back and forth. You won't go anywhere spiritually if you think, you can rock and roll. I had to do that one. It's too good. Anyway. As Peter could not hold onto the boat and walk with Jesus at the same time, neither can we have a plan B, something to fall on when we commit to the Lord. The resources we are putting to our plan B are being taken away from doing things for the Lord. We simply can't do both at the same time. Secondly, rolling requires a committed determination. A roll's momentum can carry on for more or less distance based on the terrain it's on. If you roll a ball on a smooth surface, it's going to go a long distance. But if it's on a rough, it's only going to roll a little bit. Think about a car. You you're, have a lot, of time, a lot of time easier uh, driving on the road on the mud, you have, you know, you're trying to get that traction through, but you can't go through. But we must commit to him no matter what the circumstance and keep committing to his plan as he tells us where to go. 
And sometimes we're rolling in one direction. Okay, God, I'm doing what you're doing. And then God tells us, all right, Justin, now go left. Wait, go left? I'm going this way. I don't want to go left. But, you know, God is God's plan. He, his, highs, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We can't comprehend his plan. We simply can't comprehend it because this world is too complicated for us. We can't take all the factors of the universe and just draw where we need to go from there. But God does, so why not trust in God to lead us where we want to go? And this is God's promise for us. If you look at the second part of this verse, in verse 5, and he shall bring it to pass. And this is self-explanatory here. This will be accomplished. In Proverbs 16, 3, commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. And see, what we're having here, commit thy way unto the Lord, committing your way, that comes from your delight, your desire that God has given you. If you're committing your way to the Lord, you're doing what you're doing because you have a desire that God has given you. So his promise, it's not he's going to enable you to accomplish whatever you go for. It's what you go for based on the delight he gives you. And uh, really an important factor to think about this uh, illustration with uh, other guys uh, in my college campus. There is a mass frenzy and really like chaos, chaotic, like, um, what's the word? Just chaotic tragedy and just they need, they feel like they need to find a girlfriend. Especially the freshmen. Like, dude, you got four years ahead of you. Calm down. But so when, when people are, when guys are looking for a girl, they, you know, and I appreciate when they do this. They pray to God, God, give me a woman that is honoring to you and has traits that will edify me to work for you. And they pray that, and that's, that's really good. And so then they go out, and then they find a girl that fits, matches those qualities, and they just dash after it. Oh. And then it doesn't work out. And it's like, oh, God, and maybe he's looking at Psalm uh, 37, verse 5. God didn't give me that promise. But his desire, it's, ba it's based on the desire. And he, when the person pursued that girl, he actually changed the desire. His desire, his actual desire was to find a godly woman, to find one that fits his needs. But then he translated that into a specific woman. So his promise is not that he's going to give you that specific woman, but you are going to find one that is godly and fits those attributes that you need. If God doesn't give you something right away, keep searching. Because what you pray for, what you desire, honoring the Lord, he's going to give you those things in ways that you may not be able to comprehend right now. Focus on doing what God wants you to do rather than on receiving what God promises. And you will not be discouraged when something you commit does not work out. And now I'm uh, almost closing here. Let's look at verse 6 in this chapter. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. 
See, when you commit to the Lord and you accomplish these things that God is enabling you to do, God is going to use that righteousness and the judgment, discernment that he gave you to bring light to the world, both for other believers and to the lost. This verse is telling us what should be our focus. If we're going to bring ourselves away from what verse 1 commands us not to do, fret not thyself with evildoers, and instead concentrate on what verse 6, what verse six tells us to do, we need to change our perspective. We need a different focus. We need a perspective to have faith in God. When we worry about evil people prospering, the root problem of that is the same as us envying for anything else. The root problem is that we do not have a spiritual perspective. That is a perspective that concentrates on the whole picture and does not just focus on uplifting yourself and getting what you can gain. This can be applied, not only does this apply to evildoers, but this applies to other Christians. Do you tend to be ashamed or do you tend to be envious when you focus on another's accomplishments rather than being happy for him? Does that trigger in your mind? You may not act on it, but does it trigger in your mind? Is one of the first things you think, oh, you know, he, you know, he got that. You know, why didn't I get that? That's because you do not have a right perspective. If this is the case, you have a perspective based on pride. If I took a piece of paper, if I have my right piece of paper, I'll just take something. I already use this one. So, a piece of paper is a flimsy object. How can we improve this paper? How can we make this paper better? See, what a lot of us try to do, even with good intentions, we try and work hard and stretch ourselves. God, I am going to dress real nice. I'm going to be everything I can be. God, I'm going to look at other people nicely. I'm going to say nice things to them. God, I'm going to give you what you need, Lord. I have what it takes to do what you need me to do. God, I am going to read my Bible every day and be a super spiritual person. God, I am going to do incredible things for you. I, can't, I am going to do incredible things for you. And, look, and look, what, look at what we've done. We spread ourselves around. And while we're trying to make ourselves bigger, we made ourselves weaker. But guys, if we instead, we know in Matthew 23, 12, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. See, if I took, if I took this piece of paper instead and decided to fold it. I fold it. The more I fold it, the smaller I make myself, the stronger I get. Now this paper is no longer flimsy. It's hard and more brittle. Again, withstand, smacks, look it, it's still there. What if someone tells you that you're diagnosed with a terminal disease? If you humble yourself, you're going to be strong through that. If one of your kids, if your father runs away from the Lord and you need to encourage them, you're going to be strong. Because you depend on God. 
We can't do this in our own strength. We need to depend on him. But Justin, how do I change this perspective? I, I really, I, I, want, I want to see things in a better light. I want to have a heavenly perspective. I try, but I just can't. I can't make myself humble. But guys, simply, start off with verse 3 in this chapter. Trust in the Lord and do good. Let him work in our minds, and our perspective will change. In Romans 12, 2, we know this verse. And be not conformed to this world, but ye be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renewing of your mind, that's a change in perspective. That ye may prove, you may give an example of, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If you let yourself change your perspective, you're going to be an example. You're going to provide evidence for what the will of God for you is by your actions, by your thoughts, by your heart. Trust in the Lord and do the right thing. If you do this, then he'll give you these blessings and you'll be able to delight in him and get those desires. And when you get those desires, you can be motivated to do the right things for the Lord. See, it's all about having this faith on the Lord. Not just in our minds, not just in our hearts, not just in our actions, but everything. Having faith in God for every aspect of our lives. Every piece of our instrument. Let go of the idols of reputation and riches that are weighing you down and let them work in you. Your mind, your heart, your actions will be changed for the Lord. Let's read through this passage one more time. Fret not thyself because of evildoers. Neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall be soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green earth without the power of God. Trust in the Lord and do good. So thou shalt dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to paths. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. This is how we are enabled. This is how we are fixed. And this is how we are able to do what God wants us to do. I would want to have piano, but I think it's a time of silence, I believe, in this case. It'll be a better time. If you, want, if you have something you need to change for the Lord... If you're not letting God work in you a certain area, I would encourage you to pray, you know, pray in your seat. Or if you want to come to the altar, that's fine as well. Spend some time with the Lord. Start trusting in him and doing good.